And we will turn our attention to the scripture reading, which is on page four and five, and it's another long one. Uh, but I'll, I'll try to lean a little bit, and you guys think of it storytelling. Now, also remember that uh, that Revelation is a picture book. I say it every single time. It's a picture book, not a puzzle book. It's not something to figure out on a timeline, though there may be a timeline to it, but it's a picture book. It's throwing out all these images for you to see and for you to experience uh, so that you might know a little bit more about who our Lord is and what goodness he has for us and what control he has over the universe. So here you go. From Revelation 12 and 13. John says, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sea and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have, now have come to the salvation now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times and and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from the mouth of the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away in the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandment and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had a feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had been given authority to the beast, and they would all worship the beast and ask, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who who will live in heaven. 
He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is going into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patience, patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all authority over the first beast on his He exercised all authority over the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He was also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand and on his forehead so, they could, so that no one could buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This called... This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast for it's man's number. His number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, senior pastor at Christ Central Church. And we're going to continue our sermon series in the book of Revelation. And we're going to do chapter 12 and 13 today. And um, I advise you to go to the Sunday school on Tuesday night uh, Bible study so that this stuff can kind of be stretched out a little better for you um, and for your heart. You ever wonder why as a child certain things went on between family members? You know, why Cousin Ed never came to the family reunions? You know, why is it that you only saw Dad on the weekend? Why were you not allowed to to spend the night at a certain relative's home? Or or why did mom and daddy argue late at night? And even why you moved around so much? Maybe for you it's why the other kids had new clothes the first day of school and you didn't. Little did you know then, your story was a sub-point. Your story was a chapter 10 or 12 or 13. It was a a third or fourth verse to an epic of life, decisively affecting your world, yet largely beyond your control. You and I today stand in the sub-points, though important, of an epic spiritual history of God's redemption of this world. The story we just read from chronicles in significant part, the the history of redemption. It is epic. This story that we just read from, it's larger than life. This story with its comic book imagery is spiritual reality that is behind the world we live in every day. These are the characters and drama behind our day-to-day and year-to-year worldly dramas. And what it teaches us is that there is a spiritual story behind our story that has spiritual characters. 
Now, as we've heard, these characters are not so difficult to figure out here, but their presence heavily impacts our world. There, first, you have the woman. Obviously, she's special. She's clothed with the sun and has a crown of 12 stars. She is, by all accounts, the people of God. She stands for what we now know as the church. In the Old Testament, she was considered God's chosen people. Then we have the red dragon, whom by obvious appearance is bad. He is evil. He is an arch enemy. Verse 3 and 4 in chapter 12 say this. And another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. He is big and bad and powerfully and effectively evil. He is, as most have already guessed, he's Satan. He is the devil. He is God's and God's people and God's creation, spiritual enemy. Then we have the child who is Jesus. And then there is God who plays himself in the story. And then we have minor characters in verse 16. There's the earth and, and creation that makes an appearance in helping the woman. And so we see that creation itself plays a part in its connection to the creator God. And then we have in verse 13, the beast out of the sea. Now, the beast is the Frankenstein, this kind of weird, crazy, put-together creation of the dragon to give the dragon power on earth. It, too, has authority, having seven heads and ten crowns and looking like a leopard and has feet of a bear and, and, and mouth like a lion, which illustrates its potential and possess power in the earthly realms. And, and many Bible commentators would say it represents the spiritual power and uh, deceptiveness behind earthly institutions. There are philosophies that are adversarial to God and the church and Jesus and creation. And then we have this beast from the earth. Another Frankenstein of the dragon. This time, though, the Bible says it looks like a lamb with two horns, but it has the voice of the dragon. In other words, it is the smoozing character. This beast from the sea appears safe from, from, I mean, beast from the earth appears safe at first. Unlike the beast from the sea, he looks like he should be in the petting zoo. He, he, he does not come with sheer force, but with slickness. He's the salesman of the dragon. He's selling wolf tickets and waterfront lots cheap in Florida and walking distance from Disney World. He is the salesperson. These allegorical but real spiritual characters are, as you can expect, engaging in a spiritual drama that stands behind our own world's drama. The woman who is the church, God's people, give birth to the son who is Jesus. Now, we understand it to be that he came through the Jews, through the Virgin Mary, and comes today through the church spiritually as the Holy Spirit works through it. 
But the dragon obviously seeking the place and power of the woman or the son or God seeks to destroy the son and can't. And then he goes after the woman, God's people, and he can't destroy them. And so there is a war in heaven between the dragon, Satan and his demons and God's angels. And he loses and he decides that he will frustrate the offspring of the church, that he would frustrate God's people that he would frustrate God's plan to redeem the earth, that the dragon would seek to hurt, would seek to persecute, would seek to stop the progress of of God's church and God's people. In, In verse 15, it says he tries to drown them with water from his mouth. But though in hard places and through hard times... Seen in the fact that there is safety in, in the woman being in the desert, the people of God, the plan of God, will survive over and against any attempt of the dragon to take it over. But the dragon will raise up beasts. Now these are spiritual enemies with with worldly manifestations. He's going to raise up this stuff to deceive people, attempting to again confuse the plans of God, maybe keeping them from, from becoming God's people, maybe seeking to keep them out of the safety of God, God's care in Jesus Christ. But once again, God has and is winning his people and winning for his people at every turn. And what was central to the dragon's inability to have power over God's people and plan? It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 10 here. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers, one who who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their own lives. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. In the dramatic victory, yes, there is this continual warring and raging of the dragon and his Frankensteins against God and God's creations, which include all human beings, until Jesus finally does away with him. That we in time and space of human history, we're caught in the crossfire. You know what this reminds me of? Have you ever seen like a Superman movie or, or any kind of superhero movie? And we're like the people in the city that are on the ground, when Superman and his enemies are crashing buildings and buildings down as they fight each other, that the lives of God's people are ultimately saved by our Superman Jesus, but the debris and crashes and hurts as a result of spiritual battle, they fall to earth. That the spiritual battle itself protects us from the direct death rays, if you will, of the enemy, but impacts our physical world and lives with secondhand pain and suffering. That you and I can rest 
or depending where we stand, not rest as we wait the final act of Jesus's return. Now, I I don't want us to get Gnostic here. I, I don't want to say forget the physical world is not important. But the story behind the story makes us question. It challenges us to the whys and what's of what we do here and how we live. How is what is spiritual determining to how we shall live and work and play and and treat each other? I mean, why is it so hard here sometimes? Why is the energy, Grady, the energy to love and, and feel and be accepted so hard? This passage calls us to look up and behind and beyond our world for understanding and hopefully help. I mean, in contrast to a, a forget the flesh belief down here, does it matter? The physical isn't important. The reality and gravity and drama of the spiritual world make us realize that what happens here counts for something and in something bigger and more lasting and eternal and important. That we see this imagery fleshed out and think there is a spiritual something going on behind this physical world. You know what? You and I need not go about our days and lives in unbeknown futility. You know, just kind of an, oh, well, just another day. It isn't just another day or just another moment. There is a serious and real working of spiritual activities, even in what we call the mundane. So what are you doing? How are and why are you living I mean, it is a call to examine our physical and mental and social lives in, in, in the light of this revealed spiritual reality to own up to only being a subpoint to a larger story. But, but, but as is written though, as important to the script of life, as part of God's epic, as a part of God's redemption, though we're not the main characters per se, we definitely are a creation nonetheless. Which if we are honest about our role and character, we must see and embrace that we're finite, that, that we're weak, that we're sinful. And, and so we, we need to look for a, a lasting hope. We need to, something that gives us more confidence than what we can see, more determining strength, more, more power to make happen what needs to happen. And the place that these spiritual realities come to life and are revealed is right here in the scripture. It lifts the cover. This scripture is lifting the cover over what is hidden, this hidden world, showing us that in the spiritual world, we have these parallel kingdoms being set up here. And the first kingdom that we see here is what I would describe as a bizarro kingdom. Now, we did, we did um, uh, Schoolhouse Rocks this morning. So I'm going to ask you if you remember Super Friends on Sunday, on Saturday morning. You know, 
Thank you. Thank you, brother, over there with the super friend. Some of you don't want to raise your hand, but you're watching it every morning. Remember super friends? And, and, and the one weirdest thing that has yet to settle in my mind is the bizarro world. You know, you kind of got this parallel world with this fake behind Superman and, and Batman and, and Wonder Woman. They kind of look just like them, you know, but they're just, if you look closely, they're, they're a little bit more square. Their color's a little off, like Batman is red, you know, red and the blue, you know that's Batman. But the bizarro Batman, maybe he's like a fuchsia in black and and it looks like he has mascara on because his eyes are like real dark and, and Wonder Woman don't look right. And it just, you know, it's, it's, it, I hated it. You know, just another Superman, another Wonder Woman, a parallel bizarro, it just ain't right. I mean, I used to think, say it ain't so, I, I hated when that would, one would come on. Cause I kind of get a little confused, you know? What's, you know, you pop it on, maybe a little late. And Superman doing wrong. It, it just didn't seem right. He got the wrong outfit on this morning. It didn't look like he washed his face. Some, something's up. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, Super Friends, those Marvel Comics guys, they deep. Even though you and I may have missed it, between spoonfuls of Captain Crunch between the commercials, you know, oh, I'm going to get that for Christmas, those commercials that used to come on so much, that we live in a bizarro world, bizarro in its invisible nature, bizarro in its counterfeiting, exposes bizarro and fake and false by this scripture. I'm going to let you know the dragon and the beast are a bizarro version of real hope and real power, and real redemption. And they have in their various authorities and on earth infiltrated our world, infiltrated its institutions and its people and its philosophies and its powers that be. They're kind of flexing, you know, pretending a little bit to convince and contrive people that God and, that, that God and Jesus stuff is passe, that is foolish. It's other world. It's too small-minded. That, that Jesus is was a weak carpenter, soft, soft-spoken wimp who, who can't and doesn't have power. That your greed or strong government or money or worldly power or popularity can give you. Read with me verse chapter 13, verses 4 through 6. It says, Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority. Uh, he, he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Now, the 42 months, three and a half years, kind of, remember we talked about that, that Satan, I mean, the, the dragon realizes his time is short. Now, what the scripture seven would be the complete. So, six, so three and a half is half of seven. And so you get this. He is, he is in a period that won't last forever. He has an authority that won't last forever. That the spirit, if you will, of the beast 
in their various earthly manifestations. They, like, make fun of God. You know, I can see, like, if this was like, let, let's pretend we're watching a cartoon or, or maybe a movie and, and, and they're playing this Revelation 12 and 13. Out. I can see the beast kind of coming in the middle of God's people, maybe walking up in church one day and saying, hey, God, are you up there? Hello? Anybody home? See? God ain't real. I can see him saying, Jesus, if you're the son of God, why are your people suffering? Hello? Is there a God up there? Blasphemies. I can see him coming in. I mean, Christian Christianity is such a crutch of weak people and weak-minded people who follow this guy who lived so long ago and apparently has no earthly power or good right now. Jesus, are you there? The beast says, in the presence of God's people, in the presence of the world, he makes God look like a joke. He makes Christians look like they're fools, stupid, weak. Why do you believe in this crazy theory? Don't you see in history people believe the same thing over and over? You're just going through a time in history where you people are crazy. Why doesn't your God answer you? I mean, you know what the beast does? He gets in the minds and hearts. He, he tries anyway to, to overtake Christians and he, he gets and he uses whatever means and spiritual means to get in your mind and say stuff like, Hey, remember that prayer? Yeah, it was just you in the room. I didn't see God in there. You were struggling. You had problems here. You and so and so ain't getting along. Remember you went to that room and prayed? Didn't get any better. Ha ha. Jesus ain't real. Look how them church people acted. They ain't no better. Oh, yeah, you you, you having money problem? <laughs> no, trust me, God, he ain't going to help you out. This thing ain't going to work. You didn't see him get up from the grave. This Bible is a good fantasy book. Enjoy. But look around. We in control. Church people on Sunday, well, they got one little morning of control from 10 to 12, or maybe 12, 10 if the pastor preached long. Hello, where's your God? Blasphemies, direct and hard. Then the beast come with this convincing power. I mean, verse 3, chapter 12 says the beast seems to have the power to heal itself because it's injured. And then the beast of earth brings fire from heaven and then it causes people to be killed who don't worship the image of the first beast. And then as verse 7 says, it was given power to make war with believers and guess what the scripture says? Conquer them. I mean, on top of this, it controls the, the economic systems, making people receive the mark of the beast to buy and sell. In other words, this beast holds the keys to economic well-being. Now, let me break it down this way. Because the other day I saw the biopay thing. And, you know, you start to think, oh, this is the mark of the beast. You know, you, you, you know, the little thing where you put your finger down and you can pay Instead of your credit card, that way someone can't steal your credit card and use it. I Man, I think it's a pretty good idea. 
You know, okay. And you start thinking, oh, goodness, is this the sign? You know, when I put my finger on that thing, is somebody going to come get me? You know, whatever. Is the sky going to turn dark? Let's kind of let's kind of understand it as clearly as we can. What it's saying is that you would have to take a there is a no there is no God up there view of stuff, a pure capitalistic or whatever system you want to use kind of greed. A there is no heaven, get it all now. There is no savior, no accountability to how you use people, how unjust you are to get it. You would have to be a think like an unbeliever to get all you think you want and need to think about the kingdom of God. To think about loving people, to think about serving, you know, you don't get good service anymore. To, to think about being a good servant, maybe giving people their money back if they didn't like their food, or, or, or maybe selling what you say you really have. Just imagine that. The, 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 that to do right economically would kill you. But you couldn't buy and sell unless you thought cruelly unbelieving. Think about the credit card stuff. Forget the interest rates. Two groups working together. We want to buy and they want to sell. Forget it if it's 30% interest. Who cares? I got to have it now. I'll die and let my kids pay it. Forget about the higher consequences outside of not having. I got to have it. The thinking that think is like that is there's nothing more to this life for me. I need to have it now. I need to get it now. I need to take advantage of whatever I can. There is no moral code. There is no Jesus. There is no God who has to make accountable for. Man, give me that car, that big one right over there. I don't care. I don't, I don't, I don't care what you think. I don't care what God thinks. He ain't existing. And you begin to live in this buy and sell world that makes it, okay, remember this is a, Counterfeit. So the mark of the believer that we're sealed by the mark of the Holy Spirit on us, and so God knows who we are. But this is the mark of the beast. This is the mark of an unbeliever and an unbelieving heart. And we see that the beast's motivations are fear and fulfillment. What are they doing? To make you afraid not to have some sort of earthly power to look to. Make you afraid that some sort of, afraid for some sort of popular hope, that there'd be a fear of death, fear of being left out, fear of not having what you need, fear of being known and rejected, fear of dying and not having truly lived it up, a fear of losing, a fear of being marginalized as, as foolish and unimportant. And the beasts come and say, harvest that fear. Let me tell you what you're going to do with that fear of, of death, that fear of not having, that fear of being left out and left behind. We're going to help you with that right now. We're going to help you hide. We're going to help you pretend. We're going to give you safety in where the popular people are. Instead of pain and suffering that God says believers are going to have, Instead of the suffering that goes with believing in God, who when we yell at the sky or hurt his people doesn't seem to answer, you can have it now. I don't know about you, but when I begin to read this, read this and think about it, 
the beast, the spirit of the beast, the spirit of the age, let's call it, pretty convincing. Controlling governments, having the nations follow them, controlling the wealth and the pleasure centers, and the worst thing, they punk God, they punk Christians. I mean, Christianity following Jesus doesn't make sense, except for the obvious. They're bizarro. <laughs> They're bizarro. I mean, the images tell us something. They're dragons and beasts. Just like the bizarro Superman, you kind of know something's wrong with it. That it isn't right. They feed on your fears. They feed on your inadequacies. They feed on your lack of control over your world. And this is what I want you to do. Think about what sinfully drives most of us to do what we should not do. Fear, insecurity, pain. And the spirit of these beasts work in that stuff to exert you to trust anything or anything else but Jesus. And it works for me. It works for me sometimes. Man, when I'm angry, I want to take it out in a different way. When I'm insecure, I want to take it out in a different way. I don't want to go pray. Come on, man. Sometimes I don't want to go pray. There seems to be an immediate answer to my question in that. You know, get a second beer. You know, chill, man. Watch some ESPN. Just relax. Don't, don't do something crazy like call Georgia. You know you're going to get in your business. You don't want that. And if you do try to seek Jesus, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to crush you. You know, go tell a friend, have an accountability partner. Hey, man, I'm really struggling. You know, the beast is going to, you know what he whispers? Yeah, you're going to tell him. He's going to tell everybody else, man. You're going to get left out. You're going to be gone, dog. I mean, you, you out. It does what it can to keep us from the life of Jesus Christ. The gospel says this, though. God loves sinners. That they are not compelled to come out of fear, but out of love. Not their love of him initially, but his love for them. That we are saved and made better by faith in Jesus' love and work for us and not by fear. Like the beast, they're bizarro. The real truth is that, 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 that Jesus' love conquers all the things that would drive your fear to do something wrong. That with and over and winning over this bizarro kingdom is God's righteous kingdom. I'm going to read it one more time. Verse 10, chapter 12. Now have come the salvation and power in the kingdom of our God. And the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the land and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as a shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. I'm going to stop right there. What does it say? 
what does it tell us? That the Lord Jesus has won. That he's bought salvation for the world. That the dragon is seeking to deceive and cover that fact. And that the dragon is seeking to, 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 to bring that down. That because of Jesus' victory of love for the lost, the dragon's time is short. It is incomplete. He is wooing and threatening the world with what he cannot deliver. He's like the ticket scalper. He's giving you tickets a day, promising you so much. But when you don't notice a little date on the top, that show happened two years ago. And so what Jesus offers is this upside down kingdom, upside down to, to how this world thinks. Jesus, now get this, Jesus has done the work and he gives a sincere promise that he will and can fulfill it. But he calls us to wait in the now for what he has done and will do. Everything else in the world says, get it today. Get it now. That's what the spirit say. The beast spirit says, get it now. Now, I'm not sure whether we can really deliver on it, but you can at least have your ticket in the hand and pretend like you're going to a show that ain't never going to happen. That Jesus is keeping his people safe in the desert. That he's keeping them safe in persecution. That he's keeping them safe, as verse 10 suggests in chapter 13, in captivity. Get this, that he's actually keeping them safe in death by the sword. While the dragons with his beasts and people are kept alive in prosperity and popularity and promises that are given and felt today. Jesus says, I keep my people even though they're suffering and going through pain and some are dying. I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem like a good story for God's people that you're kept safe in suffering. In being secondhand citizens of earth, safe in being ridiculed for trusting in something that happened so long ago and hoping for something like heaven and, and Jesus coming back that will, you know, how is that a secure and righteous kingdom for those who trust Jesus or would trust Jesus? You see, it's in the suffering that Jesus is all you have. And that's the way he wants it. That for believers, the strength of their faith is not in their ability to hold it themselves, but to be held by it. That for his people, it is safer in the desert than it is in a place and with powers that will feed and woo them away from him. Get this, that even death itself is better than living a life apart from him that death itself is better than having his children molested and ruined by the words and works of spiritual enemies it reminds me of this the movie beloved with oprah winfrey starring and there's this real graphic kind of awful scene where you know i don't know whether she's imagining it but she sees she's escaped from slavery and she sees a slave master coming and she has her children and she goes about to kill them. I mean, to take them out. Why? She would rather them die than live a life of slavery. Our Lord would rather us suffer and even die 
then have your heart held by a deceptive dragon that wants to destroy you. Jesus feeds his people not with the promise of power or the promise of being comfortable, but with the knowledge of himself, with the display of his love for them. He does not keep us with anything that can be counterfeited by the dragon or the beast. He keeps us with stuff like unconditional love, stuff like God loving and dying for people, stuff like being saved by faith and not by works, stuff like being safe only because you are held by him, stuff like we are sinners and God's love it died for sinners. They overcame and believed by reflecting and hearing and surviving on God's love message and promise in Jesus Christ. I'm going to wimp out personally because we're called to wimp out. In the indifference from the power and perceived wisdom of all the world's intellect and all the world's people and systems and a dragon and a beast, that the power to survive the beast and the dragon is the story itself. That God became flesh and dwelled among us and died for and saved a sinful people and called them his from time now to eternity. That as a result, they would not be lost or left or forgotten or forget or run away or be kidnapped by another. The one thing the dragon and beast and their deceptions to to destroy you and me can't stand against? The story. The story of the gospel. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That his blood was shed, that we be forgiven of our sins, that we be freely justified by his grace, that we will no longer be the plaything of any beast, but be loved by God regardless of our sins. Believer or unbeliever, I can't offer you power. I can't offer you freedom from suffering. I can't even offer you necessarily freedom from death. But what I can offer you, regardless of what the world says, regardless of what sins you've committed, regardless of how powerfully the beast and the dragon seems to be, I offer you Jesus Christ, who gave his life so that you could have life. He gave up his heavenly place so that you could be there with him. He felt the displeasure and wrath of his father so that you could know the love and pleasure of the father. As one who is clothed and covered in the righteousness of Jesus. How do we survive the story of the gospel? The epic message that God died for sinners. No other secret. It's not in being able to put the dates with this stuff and figuring out whether the Romans are the beast and whether America is Babylon and all these things. At just the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. It's the power of the gospel that God says in suffering and in pain and in death, 
it's hard for me to believe it, but it's true that that will keep you and hold you and love you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as your people suffer, that as a dragon and the beast seek to deceive and harm our hearts and our world, that this message, Jesus shed his blood for sinners, would be our transforming and powerful hope. Whether believers or unbelievers, we'd be able to overcome by that. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.